Welcome to episode 54 of Expanding Beyond here in this hot uh, European summer, I guess. More for you than for me, I guess. Yes. Thank you, Heatwave. Um, <laughs> well, it's going to be hot for you in a week too, so. <laughs> yeah. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, I hope you had great holidays. Urban is about to have some. I did mm -hmm. already. We're in, in that in that limbo in between the beginning of the new year, like at school, you know. Yeah, you're all happy that you even get an episode in August here. <laughs> yes, I hope so. Yeah. So how are you? I'm doing good. So uh, like I said last time, I have uh, resigned. So I have until somewhere uh, middle of September and then have I'm, I'll be on holiday for the next two weeks, so I'm not really doing any big things at work anymore. And it's sometimes a bit hard to find something to do. Uh, so I'm trying to focus on sort of the the little things, sort of certain things that were never fully automated because they didn't happen often enough. Um, and we all built, or at least I built some muscle memory on how to handle them manually. But now I'm trying to sort of automate as much as I can of that stuff, because then no one ne else needs to learn uh, what this, uh, how this works and what it is all about. So it's not automation by delegation. <laughs> no, this is real, supposed to be real automation. Yeah. You're so delegating I, to the machine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Sort of, I, there, there are of course some things that you can't really automate. So if I yeah. did write some documentation and I'm not generally actively fixing stuff manually anymore because I'm, and I'm just giving, uh, sort of giving uh, tips and helping others to resolve the issues. But when I see something that can be automated and I actually try to, because it seems like the best use of my time at this point. It's a bit sad that you get to have that time only before you're leaving. I was like, this should be a no brainer. Or, you know, like speaking of multipliers of, of, um, of team productivity, this sounds like a very productive use of your time. Yes. And no, I mean, these things, they don't happen all that often. Mm -hmm. So if, if you already know what to do, then it's probably easier to fix it. But when all people that actually knew how to do it are leaving, then yeah. <laughs> it's probably better than writing it down and explaining it to see if you can actually automate it away, right? Yeah, encode the knowledge somewhere. But I guess I'm I'm sort of, I think the, the most important ones I have done and now I'm not doing all that much anymore, I would say. Dob is free. <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> Did someone give you a sock somewhere? No. Not yet. No, not yet. No. <laughs> Maybe it's going to be the goodbye present, you never know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm sorry, people. Today I'm going to be more stupid than usual because I'm very tired. I slept very poorly. So my brain is actually acting up. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess this is actually my update for this time. I don't have much more. We'll see. Maybe next time it will be interesting. Once. And you are the embodiment of the European going on holiday in August and not doing much, you know? That is true. Yeah. How about you then? <laughs> um... Well, we, um, in my new company, we are having also a bit of a quieter time because one of our engineers is basically gone for three weeks. Uh, he has a 
I, I didn't realize how many holidays he had. And uh, the other one also, the other senior one also is uh, is off. So especially this week has been a quieter week. And uh, we have used that time uh, on the company side to, um, well, my intention was to um, dig a little bit into uh, what could we do for increasing what I call the YOLO factor uh, of our uh, engineers when uh, when writing code and when uh, releasing features. The thing is that I noticed that um, our, our CEO, so the technical co-founder, whenever he's coding, he's coding more confidently most of the engineers in the team. Mm-hmm. And I started wondering why. And yes, of course, he's a skilled engineer. Otherwise, he wouldn't have been worked at Google, right? But he is also the boss. Uh, and that gives him enough freedom to know that if he screws up, it's going to be fine, right? Mm-hmm. It's that when talking about psychological safety, that is also uh, something that is important. It's like how dangerous it is for me to uh, to fuck something up. And um, I don't necessarily think that this is a conscious thought uh, in the mind of uh, of the engineers in my team, but I do notice how I tend, for example, to be more careful when uh, releasing stuff in production. I am almost always the last one checking that the code works, that stuff is working as intended in uh, the dev environment or what we have right now and so on and so forth. And I tend to be more cautious than than him. So I was like, okay, how can we increase that YOLO factor? And given that we are now at a stage in which we have identified some core functionality of our product that very likely is going to stay stable to some extent. We need users to be able to sign up, for example. We need users mm-hmm. uh, to uh, pay. Uh, we need. Uh, we know that we are betting on uh, teams using our product, so we will need some team functions, uh, team features uh, out there. And knowing this, I was like, maybe it's time to start testing those things uh, instead <laughs> of, you know, like hoping that someone is going to catch the bug sooner than a customer, than a potential customer. So the mandate for whoever was still working this week was like, okay, let's go and look at what can we test and how can we test that? So I spent some time looking at how testing is done in the this new world of JavaScript and TypeScript and whatnot, uh, at least new for me. Uh, I know it's not new, <laughs> so. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, well, I mean, testing in JavaScript is maybe... <laughs> Compared to other languages, fairly new still. Exactly. So that's what I found out. I had uh, heard of Cypress actually some time ago. And I have to say that compared to what I remember, it has come a long way. I've been taking... So first of all, their documentation, their guides, uh, the guides on, on their website, pretty good, I have to say. Like in a couple of days, I was able to breeze through uh, their tutorials, actually making things work and understanding how things were connected and so on and so forth. So as a as a newcomer to the language, I'm pretty happy about the status of the of the support that is given to um, uh, to developers approaching the topic. Probably it has been a bit easier for me because I know the concepts already. They are 
very close to what I experienced when starting doing TDD with Rails. So this, especially Cypress, is this end-to-end, provides end-to-end testing support. Their documentation is actually pretty good because it doesn't only talk about how you can do, how you can write tests, but also why you should write them and how to write them not only from a technical standpoint, like why it's important to test, how do you organize your test? It was one of the, I, I found out that they clearly state that, you know, like you have to give some context. So you have to do the setup and then you do the actual operation. So the action, and then you have the assertion. I know it sounds for people that do testing for a living, <laughs> it's kind of obvious, right? But I do remember having to express that concept clearly uh, intermediate engineers when I was working uh, in my previous companies. And I'm like, that that should be a given, right? Um, yeah, yeah. But you need to read about this stuff. And if the official documentation of a, of a testing framework doesn't give you that context, it's it's tough. It's tough to learn it on your own. Like you absorb it maybe from other people, but it takes longer usually, right? So I was pretty happy to see uh, to see how uh, how the the community the the, the framework has uh, has come along. And the team, like whoever is left on the team right now, there's one person that has absolutely no experience whatsoever. Um, she's. Pro- pretty new to the field. She was making great progress. She has never tested anything before, but she was able to set up her environment. She just following the documentation, she was able to write a first test. Um, so there are some intricacies there because you have to have the user signing up and so on. So it's not exactly trivial, but she was able to write a pretty good test from, from basically in two days mm-hmm. um, without any support. She did it on her own. The other person on the team, this is a freelancer that we recently uh, uh, started collaborating with. Oh, you and found someone. <laughs> he is more used to unit tests. So he dug a little bit deeper into that uh, than uh, compared to end-to-end testing. Uh, with uh, with Cypress. Uh, and uh, I also learned a little bit about what are potential frameworks that are there and so on and so forth. So I have to say that this week for me has been a breath of fresh air because I was able to actually do some things. It was, <laughs> you know, and, uh, and as I said, I mean, the concepts to me are not new. So maybe that is what helped me follow along and, and, like acquire the concepts of of this framework pretty fast, but for now, incredibly, I like it. So it's mm-hmm. a it's an improvement compared to my usual stance on JavaScript. You know. Yeah. Well, uh, what I noticed that you are sort of equating testing with Cypress uh, with testing JavaScript, and I would actually challenge that a bit um, because this Cypress is essentially an end to end testing framework, and we are I, I've tested Ruby applications with this right mm-hmm. and you probably the, you you probably have to use something like that if you really test something absolutely that's really old school like something if you use jquery or even older but if you then go to something modern like react or one of the other frameworks then you can actually go back to writing unit tests exactly i think that for the stage we are at it makes sense to do end to end testing more than unit tests but there are some some parts of the app that are very deep into um, into the the system that 
do require some uh, some unit tests, in my opinion, or even just integration tests with with external external tools that we are uh, that we are using. Like for example, we have a connection to uh, Mixpanel via an API, so that kind of stuff can be tested in isolation to some extent. As usual, you're building a product, so what's important to the user is that it actually works as intended, that you can easily test by just doing end-to-end. Yeah, that's just like, you need both in the end, yeah. Exactly, you need both. But, you know, like for the stage we are at, I'm pretty confident that most of the flows that we are building are going to change and that the even the internals are going to change. So I just want to provide a baseline of safety and... Actually, that was something that because rightfully the product lead asked us like, do we really need tests at the stage we are at? And I agree with him. Incredible. But yes, I came to this conclusion all on my own um, that we are too early to actually care about the quality to that degree that we need. I don't know, as a 70% 70% coverage of our of our uh, code base or that we need to test X, Y, and Z. But as I said, there is a core functionality that we need, in my opinion, to test because I want people to be confident that they are not breaking that on yeah. one side. And second, from a psychological perspective, I want to I want also people to get into the habit of thinking like a tester because that's something that we already had a couple of exchange with the product lead about. He was frustrated that some things that to him and to me actually were uh, obvious. It's like, we have changed the behavior here. Why haven't you tested there where the behavior is exactly the same? Even if the code is different because you copy pasted it, you should know that there's another area where the functionality is the same. Why haven't you tested that? to see that it's behaving the same way. So I want people to get into the habit of thinking in those terms. What are the corner cases? Am I? What is the happy path? Is this enough? Should I go deeper? Should I also think about this other part? Like, and for building that kind of mentality, exercising, it's a little bit like, you know, like the learning the basics of piano or of playing the piano. Like you need to learn how to time, uh, how to, how to, account for time and 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 rhythm and uh i don't know what's the english for it but you know like the very basics yeah. <laughs> and that is a lot of repetition and testing writing tests makes you think like a tester and makes you think about the objective you're trying to get to how do i want the system to behave and then Hopefully you're going to start asking those questions earlier on when you get the tickets. Like, guys, this doesn't make any sense because I played the that scenario in my head and there this part is missing. And then you can have a more productive collaboration. You get, yeah. I think that's, that's the big difference when you have really product engineers, people that think about the end product and not just the a part of the system, you know? Would make sense? Yeah, it does make sense. And and the hope, I guess, is to say, hey, if the, the engineers are also responsible for keeping that test suite uh running, they will think about this. Because yes. if it breaks and they can't deploy, it's something they want to fix, right? Yeah. So how 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 yeah are you integrating this into your process? Sort of I, what the way I've we have done it. 
sort of the mm. uh, is that we basically you have your PR, you you it's it's reviewed. Um, there's some testing done, and then it gets deployed to a staging environment, and then the end-to-end test run on that environment. And if it's they succeed, then there's actually an product uh, production deployment happening. Yeah. So right now, I think we have the we do have the end-to-end workflow uh, with uh, GitHub Actions. It's running a couple of tests that were created some time ago when we just installed Cypress as a dependency on the project. <laughs> um, but there's literally two tests that just just check that the page is showing and that's it. And those checks at the moment run as soon as you open the PR. So they run on the, what we call the preview uh, environment. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't run on the staging environment only. I think it makes sense to have it run on the preview environment because I hope that we get into the habit of adding one little test per PR. That would be nice. It doesn't have to be fully tested, but if there's something you can test as a unit test, or if you notice that something is missing at one, that would be cool. The thing is that if you if you merge on dev, therefore on, on staging, it might already be too late, maybe. But you know, like this is the most difficult part for me because I am used to work in, in a more structured environment with more processes. I always have this thought in the back of my head of like, am I am I adding too many hoops to jump through at the moment? So I don't know. Like my love for the rules would tell me is like, yes, let's run this on preview. And then they have to run also on dev once the PR is merged before it's merged to production. But you know. Yeah, little steps and then try yes. something and then see what works and what doesn't. Yeah. To be honest, there's there's an additional goal that I have, and I, I really want to try this out. I would like to get rid of the staging environment so that, you know, like right now I have defined a couple of literally two metrics that I want to care about as engineering. Time to release. So how often do we get stuff out and time to recovery. So Whenever something is broken in production, how fast can we recover from that? Mm-hmm. Because if we get those two um, to be short enough, do you really care that you deployed something that is broken? So Yeah, I mean, for us, it was just the easiest thing to do, yeah. right? So we couldn't have a separate app spun up for each PR and test on that one. So we just tested, right? To just make sure it's tested before it goes out to production, yes. right? Sort of in the last moment. And that was the easiest to do. And that's that's why it's stuck, I guess. So again, so the, the thing is that we do use a CI-CD tool, Vercel, that uh, provides preview environments out of the box. It's very nice to use, to be honest. So we have as many instances as we want. So we can test whatever we want forever, whenever we want. Uh, it's, uh, it's great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, the thing is, depending on how your setup is, you might it might not be enough if you don't run on on the branch where everything gets merged in, right? Yes. So that's so th- why you normally in most setups you also run tests again on that branch. I agree. Right. I agree. Uh, but, yeah. but you know, like it goes back to what I was saying before about the stage we are at right now. We do have some customers that have registered that have signed up, but 
they're not paying yet and they are not that active either. So mm-hmm. even if we break something, it's not that dangerous for the business. Yeah. Um, it's more important that we get to learn so we get to actually ship something that people can try out more than making sure that we are not breaking anything. Yeah, that's true. And also, if you then add more checks like that, it gets takes longer to get it deployed. And that's also not nice. So it's always a bad Exactly. Yeah. So one of my objectives is that of reducing the friction to get stuff on production. So this means that if I have, I am YOLO releasing, to be honest. I was like, I create the release manually for now. I'm, I'm trying to automate that. I'm creating the release manually. I'm sharing them on the channel. And if nobody screams in a couple of hours, I'm just I'm just releasing. I'm like, let's do this. Um, so this way we have started releasing from, we, we went from releasing once a month or even more, <laughs> I, I swear to God, um, to release almost once every day because I, at the end of the day, I'm just going through the PRs. I'm looking at what what needs approval. If something needs approval, I'm just approving it if it makes sense to me. Otherwise, whatever has been merged on dev, let's just create the release and that's it. And I'm thinking to actually automate things in such a way that a release is created at least once a day at the end of the day or at the beginning of the day. It's like, this is the release, check it out, and then... Someone goes and release manually. In this case, it would be me. But, you know, like reducing the friction, reducing the steps that people have to go through and take a decision about it. Because it's not only the number of steps, but every single time you have to take a decision, there is a cost associated to it, a mental cost for the person, a moment in which they have to stop and think like, is this the right thing to do? And if I reduce that (laughs) to be as little as possible, but at the same time, we need to be able to catch problems soon as possible uh, so that we can recover as soon as possible. Yeah. And then that's the whole observability part that I'm going to figure out. (laughs) Yeah, that's essentially what we did too, right? The deployment was hard and it was like seven, eight steps you had to do. And then it's not fully automated yet, but now it's like one button click, right? Essentially, yes. and that that's already a big improvement. In an ideal world, I would like to get to the point where we were doing this at Freeletics manually, to be honest. So people were creating PRs from their branch to dev, let's say, and they would test on their machine. They would test on the private environment. And then they, if the PR was approved, then they would merge then immediately they would go and create a release because the idea was to get stuff out as soon as possible. Yes, it was still manual, but creating a release was literally pressing a button. There was a whole workflow hidden in the CI CD that would do it for you. So it was very simple to get stuff out. And for most of the of the features or the tickets that we were actually dealing with, because the workload was so the the uh, size of the work item was so small very seldom there was something that we didn't feel confident in merging in production it was more like we had we had some delays when it was release time in the sense like time was dilated between releases mostly because people were forgetting about doing that not because mm-hmm. it was dangerous yeah 
right? Like it was so trivial that people were forgetting about it. Once I once I'm there, that I am able to give enough confidence to people to do this on a uh, on a whim, uh, then I'm gonna be I'm gonna be very happy. And then most times it's actually also not too hard to automate that last step. One thing that I that confirms me though that uh, managers uh, managers that code don't actually exist is that even with such a small team, I have so many things that are going through my head that unless I have a few hours in which I, I don't think about nothing, sorry, unless I, I have some big block of time that I can focus on something, it's not that easy <laughs> because I haven't done it before. Therefore, I need to learn how to do it. Uh, and that requires you know, like focus time. And then I have to go and try it out. And that also <laughs> requires mm. focus time. So what might take an engineer, maybe a couple of days, it's taking me weeks because then something else pops up and then you forget. And I was like, oh, I don't have time here and there. So um, if you're, if you see a job posting for a team lead, for an engineering manager that requires you to code for more than like, 20% of your time, even 10, to be honest, eh, don't go there. Don't, don't, yeah, don't it do seems it. Unlikely to happen. That's true. I mean, you're going to be bad at both. So mm. yeah. <laughs> there's, and speaking of like now I'm, I'm on a roll. Whenever I'm hearing about, I'm going to rethink my approach to get people into a team lead tech lead position, because I can't expect someone that's senior to also be able to carry the load of the the team, the weight of the team with coding if I want them to coordinate the work. It's uh, it's even clearer than before. So Yeah. Yeah, and what I <sighs> what I've noticed is that these these things they are these automations they always uh, don't get the priority, right? They they're really super helpful once they're done, but somehow yeah. finding the time and getting them at the top of the priority to be actually done is is always the struggle. I mean, for us, yes. it took like over a year <laughs> for this automation to be to be done because there was always so little time and it took really, really long. Oftentimes, it's just some engineer just doing it and not asking. Absolutely. Uh, and I don't think that's bad, actually, because in that moment, you are working on some of the most important one of the most important thing for your business, the fact that business doesn't see it, it's because they are not probably understanding the implications or they don't know about it. And, you know, like, but it's a no brainer. It's, it's of course, a, a team multiplier. Yeah. You just need the right developers to actually do it. Right. And not just yeah. assume that it's not part of their jobs to figure out to come to a decision and do it, right? So, because yes. oftentimes it happens that they are just going back to their, hey, we just code whatever is given to us mentality and doesn't always yeah. produce the best results. Yeah, and then you need that come to Jesus moment like I had once when I clearly remember thinking about, that's why my boss doesn't do anything about this, even if I complain about it, because he wants me to do it. I was like, ah, that's why. <laughs> He didn't tell me explicitly, but I was like, huh, that's why. Okay, 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 I can do that. <laughs> but yeah, you need you need that moment. Right? 
Um, but yeah, it's been an interesting ride so far. But the I don't know if it's because it's comfortable to some extent, even if it's uncomfortable because I'm not that good at it. But it's something, you know, like that tangible kind of work uh, that gives me a kick at the end of the day. So it was, I think it was the only time in months in which I stayed actually hours late to try and figure out how to do this. So now I'm thinking like, maybe my next job should be an, to be an IC again, because I was like, <laughs> still a developer at heart, you know, like <laughs> I actually enjoy this. <laughs> yeah. There, there is people that basically they, that oscillate between the two sides, right? Yeah. And, and I'm, as you said, uh, at the very beginning, when we started talking about, you know, this pendulum between, uh, between the two jobs, it's not like I'm, I'm at the end of my career. So depending on the goals you have, it's like right now, my goal is that of learning. It would actually be probably valuable for me to spend time in learning a new technology per than, you know, just a couple of advent of code uh, uh, challenges. Yeah, so let's see what I'm going to learn in the next few months. And <laughs> if the company is successful, I could actually ask for being demoted. Never know. <laughs> like find someone else. <laughs> yeah. I'm cool with staying here. I just, you know, like get someone else <laughs> to lead. <laughs> yeah, I already know what we do and I can jump right in. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> so... Uh, that might be cool. So on the technical side, we have started doing this. Let's see next week when uh, when the the two engineers, uh, the more senior engineers, are back. What's what's their what's their take? If they like it or not, and so on. I think they are gonna like it anyways. Uh, it was something that they actually thought about, so uh, it's not gonna be that much of a surprise. It's generally all always the first step that's the hardest, right? Once something has been set up and it kind of works and adding to it is not that big a deal anymore. Yes. And, you know, like from my, from my point of view, it's something that I feel I can contribute and I'm not going to hinder people actually. So even, even just figuring out that I cannot test some things and say, guys, this is too complicated. I cannot test it. That's already, for example, a sign that that part of the application is too complex for what we are trying to do. And it might be risky, like literally mapping the land uh, of, of what we, uh, what we have. I was like, okay, there's dragons here. There's dragons mm -hmm. there. Here is cool. We can go through here. <laughs> <laughs> and I hope that this is also going to be helping me on leading side when it comes to estimation of how something could be uh, expensive, how expensive something can be. Yeah. I mean, to me as a developer, I, I, and the main benefit for me is as a safety net, right? Yeah. You write your unit tests and you know, you've done a good job, but then luckily there are some other tests that hopefully tell you if you've completely broken the app by mm. accident, right? It's always nice to know. Ah, uh, before I jump to, to the, what we did on the product side, um, I will add that I don't know when they came up with this, but Cypress is also providing a way to test components, design components. So it's, a, if I were to butcher the concept, I would say that it's, um, it's the equivalent of unit tests, but for the, uh, for the web design part 
Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like you have a component in in React that behaves this way, and it's supposed to behave in this way. And if you change something and that component breaks, then it's going to tell you, it's like, hey, this doesn't work anymore. And what the what was interesting about that is that I asked the freelancer to take a look if it was possible to do some component tests uh, here and there. And he already said that most of our components are too complex to uh, to test uh, with that framework at his level of competency with the framework. So that tells me that, you know, like maybe we should revisit our approach. Uh, yeah, because, exactly. That's what I thought know? too. <laughs> if it's even hard to test, then that's not a good. Yeah. But yeah, I can and understand how easy it, it is with React to sort of end up with something with a lot of various internal states scattered around everywhere and it being really hard to test. Yeah. And, you know, like we recently had a conversation between the product lead. He, he is able to code. Uh, he can do that. He's not an engineer. Like he never did that as a profession, but he knows how to code enough to be dangerous on the web design front end part. And apparently I found the first product person to actually ask for refactoring and uh, <laughs> <laughs> <Wow>. and doing things <laughs> in a more structured way. So I'm happy about it. With the enthusiasm that he has about that, he tends to be very similar to me. And that's the dangerous part because I tend to over-engineer things because I like to dry things too much. And I am aware of that now. So I know how to counteract for that. He has created some components that do take a bunch of props uh, from the so attributes from, um, from the parent component so that they are very configurable. But this makes them, they have too much logic, you know, and that makes them then difficult to test, of course, but also difficult to use. Yeah, sometimes copy and paste, I found, is actually the better solution and doing the tiny adjustments, because sometimes that is actually more maintainable and easier to easier to understand. And that was uh, the outcome of the conversation we had also with the, with the engineers in the room. Uh, where uh, he proposed a certain approach and our most senior engineer was like, we are reusing components. That's exactly what we're doing when we copy and paste. And that's fine. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's true that we have a couple of areas in the product that are supposed to have a very similar behavior. And the copy and pasting has sometimes uh, was faulty. So we had coded some components in a certain way in area A, but then we forgot to do the same in area B. And that's where I think then testing is going to help because then you think about the feature as a whole. I was like, these are the tests for this specific feature and they touch this page, this page, and you stop thinking in pages. So that's my hope. Yeah, it's always a fine line to know when to really abstract something away. Yeah. Is it really the same concept or does the code just look similar? In one case, you actually want to abstract it away. In the other case, you maybe just copy it because who knows, maybe later it goes into a different direction. You know, in this case, I I feel I that's, that was my problem. I agree with him uh, because <laughs> it's literally a drawer. So it's a part of the of the app that slides into view when you click on a certain item and that 
subview is supposed to have the exact same behavior. It's only two places. So I can see why we might not want to do that yet, uh, or we might not ever do that. But then we have to think in terms of features. If we are able to uh, create an item from that specific view, we should remember that we also have another view that has the same behavior. Yeah, I mean, then then the question here, sort of my always, I, I sort of, my, I, I have hairs raised when I, I when there's a manager or a product person trying to come up with a technical solution. I agree. Because oftentimes <laughs> that's not what you as a developer are actually interested in. What you actually want to know is what's the problem you want solved. Yeah. Instead of giving me a solution already, because in the end, as developer, you're supposedly the the expert, right, on that level. Yes. So it's it's a fine line, right? And then the question is here, right? If where is the problem? Is the problem in that someone sort of you, there's a technical solution, but the actual problem is that someone said, hey, hey, this here needs to change. But then they forgot to actually say, and in this other place, it needs to change as well, yeah. right? You could say the problem started earlier and it's not a technical problem. Uh, well, you are, uh, as we say in Italian, you are ba- breaking through an open door. Um, <laughs> that's exactly my problem. Like, But this is what makes it interesting in this setup, because the team is so small, the company is so small, that people do wear literally multiple roles, hats. At the same time, we are not talking about, you know, like a little bit of a additional responsibility. We have a product lead that is also a co-founder that is also our most skilled web designer at the moment. Mm-hmm. So he's wearing that hat depending on the workload uh, quite often. Uh, so to some extent, he has it right, you know. Yeah, yeah. And there's that from that direction. From what I hear from you is that you want the developers to also come at it from the other side and be more than yeah. just the coding monkeys, essentially. And that's that's my solution to the problem. It's a solution that I know is going to pay off, but it's going to pay off in a while. And for now, we I think it's worth going through the the cost of this investment. Because it's a, uh, it's uh, maybe maybe that's the way I should frame it. Actually, <laughs> um, it's not only a matter of you know like investing in some tech debt at the moment, but it's literally like my investment is not on the tech debt side. It's my investment is on the mentality of the engineers uh, that I'm trying to build. It's like I want these people to become product engineers and not just software engineers. Yeah, that's where I'm. I'm tackling. Maybe I'm wrong in the end. I mean, you're probably not wrong, but you can also go too far, right? It can yeah. also be that then the experts on how the system behaves and mm-hmm. on the actual product tend to be the developers, yeah. which is also not ideal because they generally don't have the the power to actually decide what to do, right? So sometimes you know, it can shift too far into that direction too. Sometimes I agree. Also, because it's exactly what we said before, like as a manager, if you also are expected to code deeply and at length, you're going to suck at both jobs. And in this case, it's the same. Your main expertise is that of being able to implement 
certain things. This doesn't mean that you're just coding, but you're looking at things mostly from that angle. If you are also expected to be the product owner, let's say, for lack of a better term, uh, the product owner, uh, so being the voice of the user, you're probably going to suck at both uh, again. Because thinking about what product managers do, and this is the cliffhanger to the next uh, to the next episode, um, <laughs> a product manager does a, covers an immense amount of ground. Um, the cliffhanger is we did a study and we did a, quite a lot of interviews with PMs for because we're building a product for PMs, right? So it just makes sense to interview them. And I I had the chance to work with at least a couple of people that are extremely good PMs, but talking with, I think we interviewed something like 20 people at this point. I have a renewed respect for uh, for that role. It's incredible the amount of ground they have to cover. Yeah, it's that's unbelievable. true. I noticed that in my team at this point because our product owner left maybe a month or month and a half ago. And you can really tell how... Yeah how much else we are now doing <laughs> to sort of keep the project uh, running and uh, advance and what and all the things are that we can't even decide on. And then no, exactly. no, there's a lot of things that sort of get stuck because, yeah. Yeah. Also because, you know, like I've talked about this also on this podcast, there were months in which in my previous role, I didn't had a PM on the team that was able to be my partner in, in leading the team. And I did some of that work, but talking to them, there is so much more that, of course, I, I didn't have the experience um, uh, to really understand that was supposed to be done, but it's, I don't know, like whoever does that job, even if they're not particularly good, kudos, because mm -hmm. it's insane. It's very, very, um, it's very, it's very much a balancing act. Of so many interests. Exactly. You are sort of, no party sees basically everything you do, yeah. right? So developers see a tiny part of what you do. And then the other parties see a small part of what you, what, what you do there. Yeah. And it's very, very easy to, to wonder what they are doing all day, but you just generally only see a small fraction of, of what's happening for them. Yeah. The amount of audiences they have to talk to, it's, um, it requires a level of articulation and abstraction, but also eye for detail. Like you have to present things to a C level. You have to present things to your peers, uh, to uh, directors in other functions. You have to understand what's going on in your team and you have to present the problem to your team. And all of this is with a different degree of detail, a different degree of, uh, how how can I say it, a, a different perspective mm -hmm. and with different objectives. If you are able to do this, they should be paid more. <laughs> Just, that's what I'm saying. Like, yeah, they need more money. <laughs> so stay tuned for the next episode uh, for a deep dive into how do you run a study for jobs to be done? And what the uh, fuck unless is we jobs forget and talk about something else? <laughs> yes, might be. Maybe something else is interesting and comes in between. But yeah, it's probably still put... summer and there's nothing else going on. I was about to say we can put it in the backlog where things go to die. Yeah, <laughs> yeah maybe not. 
Sounds interesting, actually. Maybe not. Where people can find you, Urban? Um, so people can find me uh, somewhere um, in Greece um, starting <laughs> next week. But they also can find me online on Mastodon and on LinkedIn, although not when I'm on holiday. How about you, Monica? Not on holiday. You can find me in Valencia in a week. Uh, <laughs> you can find me <laughs> not on holiday, but exploring the city. Uh, you can find me on my website, monikag.me. You can find me on Mastodon as at Nirnaeth. And with the same handle, you can now find me on Blue Sky. By the way, do you want an invite? No. <laughs> <laughs> um, too, man, so yeah. too many social media platforms already. I don't know. I'm just trying to find my next house. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> But yes, LinkedIn works. So. And you can also email us at hosts yep. at expandingbeyond.it. Thank you very much for listening to us and have a great holidays, people. Yes, I certainly will. <laughs> Hopefully everyone else too. <laughs> Till next time. Till next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.